how did they create high standards at Old Trafford? Because I want to create high standards in my team and within my life. You must now know that there's certain fundamental things that matter and a lot of shit that doesn't. What are the things that matter? If people in 10, 20 years say, that's really okay for Man United, I haven't really done what I'm here to do. Do I even need to introduce my next guest? Rio Ferdinand, former football player, one of the most decorated English footballers of all time, and as a Man United fan, probably one of my favourite players of all time ever. And he's played alongside some of the greatest players ever, but he's also been managed by the best manager ever. I grew up as a Manchester United fan watching him, idolising him, and now he's my mate. So this is going to be a fairly interesting conversation. After retiring, he's become a sports commentator for BT Sport. He's become an author. He's become an entrepreneur. He's the founder of a charity, a foundation. He's a non-executive director, which we'll talk about today as well. And as you'll hear, he's also so much more. Some things that you probably wouldn't expect. He's also a husband and a dad. One that's experienced tremendous, unthinkable tragedy. Tragedy I pray that most of us will never know. Rio is a special guy. Not least for what he's achieved on the field, but for who he is. And today, you're going to find out who he actually is, the philosophy to life that he swears by, and the culture required to win in an ambitious career, but also the culture required to win in your personal life. Without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. I'm trying to find the right words to ask this question because it's one that I've I haven't seen been asked in previous interviews of you. But what are the what are the key things that happened when you were very very young that made you choose football as your future or enabled you to 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 take that path? Because a lot of kids grow up in London, a lot of kids do a lot of things, they have a lot of passions. But for some reason, as I read through your story, football was this ballet as well. But football was the the path that you chose to take above all other things? Yeah, it's a good question. Because when I was young, I was into everything. Mm. I was running around on the estate. I was doing gymnastics a couple of times a week. I was doing ballet. Mm -hmm. I was obviously playing football. I was doing athletics. I was doing a drama class. Why were you doing all those things there? Because I just was interested in it all. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And my mum and dad were really, my mum especially were really like, if you like something, go and do it. Try it. They were always like that. Go and do it. What's what's the the worst it can do is you, you don't enjoy it. I used to do karate sometimes as well. And I got to a point, I think I was like 13 or 14 years old. And obviously my dad was having to come from East, like obviously we live in South London. He'd drive to East, North East London, drive home, pick me up from school, take me to West London to play football, mm-hmm. back to dropping friends off on the way. It's it hard graft. And in the end, I got to 13, 14 years old and my dad said, listen, you're doing a lot at the moment. You're going to burn yourself out. So let's just pick something that you really enjoy and you want to do and just go for it. And I was like, it was like an easy conversation. It was difficult in that I had to let down, I thought, and disappoint Central School of Ballet where I was doing it, which is a real, like a top school in London, in Farringdon. Um, and I made good friends there and the other stuff, I wasn't too that concerned about it. But four years, I was three or four years, I was at the Central School of Ballet. So I'd got good relationships there told them I couldn't do it and then went full throttle and full steam ahead with, with football and it was just it was 
the best decision I obviously made mm. in my life in that sense. But I was I knew that that was my passion. I liked the other stuff. I enjoyed doing the other stuff. There were good distractions from what was probably going on in my estate as well. Probably my parents thought like that as well. Mm. But football was the something that I got up every day from when I knocked on my friend's house, borrow a shipple, let's mm. go and play football, etc. So ballet. Mm. Interesting one. Mm. A lot of people don't know that you did ballet, and I, but the sounds of it, you did it at a pretty good level. Yeah, I've I done gymnastics, uh, gymnastics at the London Olympic Games, and they obviously, I didn't notice there were scouts there from from ballet schools, or someone was watching, or a family friend was there, and they said, oh, he looks like him. I don't know how, what I had, or what I was, my posture or something like that, looks good to be a ballet dancer. So I went there, and I wasn't really one for saying no to stuff. I was like, I'll, I'll try it. I'll try anything. Mm. And they said, and one of the reasons I was going to be able to get off my estate, meet new people, new girls maybe, as a young kid. And then it was in a different part of London, traveling. So I'd done it. It's funny, I read, I read a tweet the other day, which was kind of linked to something you said there. And it said, on the way up, say yes to everything. When you get mm. to the top, start saying no to everything. Yeah, yeah. And I it agree. sounds like, yeah. And it's like, and I'm almost seeing that as well, when we, the conversation we're having now about like mm. the stuff you're up to now. Now Try you, it. Yeah. Like, what is, what's the, I always think this, what's the worst really that can happen? As long as it's not a health issue. I might fail. I might, I might not be good at it. I might fail. Who cares? It's like with the boxing. I wanted to go trying to be from a professional footballer, just try and be a professional boxer. Crazy. Yeah. Mm. But what's the worst that can really happen? I lose a fight. My life goes on. That's it. So, but some people, they can't allow their ego to be squashed maybe at a certain point or their pride. And they're sitting there as this macho person. And they, they can't feel vulnerable at any point. And when you try things, there is an element of vulnerability that comes with that because mm. you're opening yourself up. You're leaving yourself a bit wide open mm. for criticism, for failure. But I'm not scared of failure. I never have been. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not fearful. Of it, and that's what I try and put in my kids. If you fail, what's, what? get up and go again. People like they, they trap themselves in their career and their sense, their sort mm. of self-identity because we were talking before we started chatting about like me trying to resist my labels now I've left social chain. Mm. They think they are an X. But from a very, very young age, and I'm kind of connecting the dots now through the rest of your life and even now, you were, you were a kid on the estate in Peckham mm. and that is an identity. Mm. That's not one that's also conducive with ballet. No, it's just such a, like, the different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Like you just wouldn't associate one with the other. And again, I, I, I wasn't, we were speaking just as you mentioned before, before we came on here. Uh, one of the things that I, my mum used to say to me is that don't let anyone tell you what you are. Mm. Don't be pigeonholed. Do you know I mean, you go and find out and explore and find out what you are. And you've got to have experiences to get to that point. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in your childhood, not in your teens. When you get to become an adult, you'll start working your way and finding out who you are and what you are. And I've always thought that. So going to a ballet school, I could have been ridiculed, my mates, I was one of the boys on the estate, but at the same time I was confident enough that, oh, you're going ballet, oh, laughing, I don't care, what? Mm. And I know I'm good at football, I know I'm good, at, I'm the fastest runner on the estate in my age group, I can keep up with the older boys, what, just because I go ballet, what, there's nothing wrong. Who right. are you? And to answer that question, you know, your mum's telling you to go out and find out who you are, did you ever answer that question? Not really. I, I think that question, you don't really answer it in the end. I think you, you're always evolving. It's like, for instance, it's something you said earlier that pricked my ears about, you said more or less the same thing, just in a different way, probably a more eloquent way about not wanting to be pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. And like my aim in my life now, like people think you've played football and you've done all these amazing things as a footballer. I've I, I done really well at football. I acknowledge that. But 
slight understatement. But, but, uh, but okay. I don't, that's not enough for me. Mm-hmm. Like my next phase of my life, I don't want to be remembered. When see, someone sees me, my success in my next phase of life is when someone sees me and says, that's Rio, do you know Rio? And they mention something that I'm doing or I've done around that time. Not that's Rio as a footballer. If people were in 10, 20 years say, that's Rio played for Man United, I ain't really kicked on. I haven't really done what I'm, I'm, I'm here to do, to set out, setting out to do, which is to evolve and become something different and make something of myself somewhere else. And I think my, my family were a lot like that. Whether my mum and dad were successful or not, they were always to us, make something of yourself, be something. Nothing, there's no, there's no barriers to that. So that's the way I've always kind of I've thought about things. What if it, what if I said to you now, how would you feel if I said you couldn't ever do anything else and that like the football thing was it and now just- I'd just laugh, sad. I would laugh. It would make me laugh because I, I, I don't see no, I don't see barriers. Yeah. And I'm fortunate as well, by the way, I understand that, that I've got to a position where there are a lot of boundaries that have been kind of put down yeah, yeah. for me to skip over because of my career as a footballer. Yeah. And you, you're you getting that now as someone who's been really successful in your field. So you see that colour and age, et cetera, get put to the side because oh, we, we acknowledge what you've done. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we do sometimes have a easy, there's not as big a barrier to entry for certain things for us, but then you still got to go in and produce. You still got to go and prove yourself. And so even things like I've, I've gone on the board now for a company, the gym group mm-hmm. as a, as a Ned. Oh, really? Yeah, which is, is out of my comfort zone because I like fitness, but I don't understand the business behind that and what goes into having a actual, having 125, 180 sites and managing that. And there's a property arm and there's a commercial arm and there's a market and, and, and that all coming together under one umbrella and having to manage all that and to be a part of those conversations. Like that stuff is what excites, I'm int- super interested in that type of stuff in the workings behind the mechanics of all these type of businesses diff- in different industries. So that's what I like. Do you not feel that- out of your depth? Yeah, but I always find something what I can cling on to that, that I just try and find something within a conversation that would allow me to 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 to, to gain confidence through talking in that conversation. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Whether yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I might not understand everything, and when the conversation's finished and the laptop's closed, I'll I'll be somewhere looking and finding out I, I didn't understand that. I'll call that person back or I'll call someone on that on that call just to clear up a few things I haven't quite grasped. But there'll be something within that conversation where I feel that I can add some sort of value. That I think all of that is a is a very again very synonymous as to why you're like even sat here today because mm. a lot of people in that situation would a just fucking avoid it from the jump, yeah. and then b if they encounter something they don't understand on the call they'll probably bounce then or they definitely wouldn't inquire because by inquiring you're actually making yourself vulnerable. Vulnerable, yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't want to avoid vulnerability, right? Yeah. And being exposed and and it's so funny that. The people that, from what I'm hearing from you, like the people that achieve the most success are the ones that are at some point willing to look fucking stupid. Yeah, you got to. Like, yeah. like no one gets to where they're going to get on the cleanest without a bump on the road. Yeah. You don't get, I don't, you have to have bumps in the road to be able to get there to experience them vulnerable moments so that when you are there, you know what it's like. And then you can drag people up with you. Yeah, yeah. And you become stronger with more people. That's how I always think. There's a lot of people want to get to the top and stay on the top of the mountain on their own and don't want to bring no one up. I don't agree with that. I, I'm always like, I want to share and help and because that is the foundations of me being stronger for a longer period of time and can sustain mm. success. But it is, it is. I don't know. It's and I, an important thing for me as well, which I'm again, I'm never scared to do, is to ask questions. Like 
It's the same thing with football. You don't understand something what a manager's telling you or a coach is telling you. Don't go away and and have a bit of a blurred idea of what it is because then you're going to be judged on that, not understanding and not executing. It's going to repeat. Exactly. So you want good habits, but you've got to understand what it is before you can create the habit. Mm. So that's what I, I try and always ask questions. If I'm if I'm wrong, if I if I feel I'm not sure or certain, I'll definitely ask questions. Isn't that crazy? You're, you've you know you've achieved all the success. You're a football legend, and yet you're still voluntarily throwing yourself into really uncomfortable situations, which mm. you don't need to be in. Yeah, in no. terms of finance, anyway. Like you don't need to be it, or in terms of like a status, you don't need to be there. And it's funny because there's loads of people that aren't haven't achieved that that are that will never throw themselves into uncertainty. But it's it's but again this is probably why you're but they're sat the here. ones that stay where they are. Yeah, exactly. This they is probably why you sat here. It's yeah, philosophy. they don't grow. They don't. Yeah, and like and all those people who will stay there. Some of them are like, oh, I just want to stay here. But a lot of them are they're scared to open up because of that vulnerability and them feeling silly if they're told, oh, you got it wrong. But it's not. I, I, I'm not like that. Everyone's on this earth for different reasons, isn't it? and some people are happy just to be like stay in a situation that they're in and, and mm. be very happy just going along that that road and no spikes or, or drops. I, I, I'd rather have a drop at some point, but to get, I know that spike's going to come somewhere through mm. being able to do the things we're talking about. In your, in your group fra- group chat with your friends from, uh, from your estate, I heard there's a group chat. Mm. Um, you oh, talk- you've been doing the research. I do research. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to research your career because I was there watching, but just, you know, it was, I was intrigued by when you said you've got this group chat with your, your friends from back home and stuff. And one of the com- topics of conversation is something that I talk about a lot on this podcast, which is there's a growing culture of like softness, dare I say it, mm. and like avoiding discomfort. And also there's this crazy thing on Instagram at the moment, which is like demonizing hard work as if it's like, because of the mental health revolution we've had and everyone's, which is a great thing. And everyone's aware of the impact, you know, of this thing called mental health. There's now this other thing, which is like, well, you can overwork and you can burn yourself out and hard work. If I advise it as an entrepreneur, even though I've never met someone or had anyone sit in this seat who didn't work hard, then I'm somewhat toxic because I'm telling people that success and hard work. Are- yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you're, you're, you're looking down on people yeah. almost like, and I, 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 listen, I don't agree with none of that. I've got to be honest. Mm-hmm. Work hard, man. That should be just an absolute normal ask of any person. And I, and I, I always keep talking about my kids because they're a big part of my life. But that's all I talk about with my kids. When they talk to me about school, football, washing up, your chores, that's what's been one of the great things that we've had a lot of negativity about the, the COVID uh, situation in this country, staying at home, et cetera, homeschooling. But one of the great things to come out of it for us as a family, these kids know their chores. Mm. and they're doing them properly. And that's why I say, do your chores right. Because them habits there will lead on to other things in your life going forward. Your football stuff, you won't take shortcuts. Mm. You're taking shortcuts there with your work, shortcuts with your football, shortcuts making your bed, shortcuts with your schoolwork, homework, etc. It will all be the same. I need high standards everywhere. But are you scared that because they've grown up in a different circumstance to what you had. Oh, I always have this conversation. Go on, yeah, that's you, true. You know yeah, what you're yeah. not going to say? Yeah, like, I'm might, trying to instill that in, in them. How do you do that when they're living that's, in like that, a really nice house and they've got... That is that is the guy who comes up with this, the, 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 <laughs> the answers for that is the main man. Right? <laughs> because it's so difficult. I was doing a podcast yesterday with... Um, Eddie Hearn. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like the generation my children are. So his father was well off, successful. 
and he was where my children are now. And he was saying like one of the things that he was he was scared of being that rich kid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so he done everything not to, to go out and work and to go and have a hard, hard, hard working mentality and to be a success himself. Our friend Umar be, was the same. Umar, is right, exactly. So Umar's and lived, lived all, all three of them, by the way, are like that. All three of the, the Kamani kids. Do you know what I mean? They're they exactly yeah. the same in terms of they've gone out to, they never had to work. Their parents would spoil them. Mm. And they've all knuckled down and said, yeah, we've been given an opportunity. Mm. Now you've got to go and execute. And they've gone executed beyond belief. Yeah. And I see Mahmoud, who's- The um, owner of Boohoo. Yeah, yeah, of Boohoo, who's the father of Umar and the guys. And that's what I say to him, man. You must be so happy, man. What do you mean? Your kids, man, what they're doing, how hard they work, created these wicked businesses, but you gave them an opportunity. But what they've done with that, you can't, you can't be disappointed. He said, no, man. He said, that, for me to sit here and just see them, what they're doing, what they're doing. That's where I want to be, man. And it doesn't matter how much money you make or how big of a business, business. My success as a parent is that my kids get up every day, they got a work ethic, and they do stuff to the best of their ability. If they can, if they do that, whatever, whatever job they're in, mm. they do that. Then I think you've done a, you've, you've laid the foundations for good, a good life for your kids. Whether it's in, you, you know, you talk there about high, having high standards being one of the really important things mm. for your kids. This is something that clearly, you know, was demonstrated when you got to Old Trafford and you, you joined Manchester United um, with for that record transfer. But how did how did they create high standards at Old Trafford versus the other clubs you'd played at, what, you know, West Ham and Leeds, et cetera? What was it they were doing that kept those standards so high? You then also talk about going to QPR and seeing low standards mm. and a certain type of negativity in the changing room. But what was it that they were doing or not doing? Because I want to create high standards in my team and within my life, so. Good habits. Right. Every day, good habits. Whether it's punctuality, again, work ethic, attention to detail, intensity, when you're, you're training on a training pitch, respecting each other. Like all those things just, they come together and it creates a culture mm. at the club. And I'd been at West Ham, I'd been at Leeds, two very good clubs, great clubs. Um, but they they didn't have that that culture which meant there was ability to win, but it starts from somewhere. So Alex, so Alex Ferguson already won at Aberdeen, so he, could, he knew how to create that culture. He went to, to Man United, didn't have that winning mentality at the time when he went there. He created that. And it all stems, I always think great leadership is definitely what gives you an opportunity to be successful. And I, I noticed that throughout my career. And when you've, you've set the foundations and you've created that culture, you don't, as a, as, a, as a leader, have to be there every day in that sense. He was at the training ground every day. How many times do you think he came into our changing room? No idea. You wouldn't feel one hand. Really? No, never came in the changing room, in the training ground, where they're every day. Because he, he knew that the culture was set and then he had lieutenants like me, Giggsy, Gary Neville, etc., who were then filtering that down mm. to any of the younger players or the new signs Mm. who didn't know the culture yet. And then, that, then those players became the, the culture leaders. And so it was, it was crazy, man. And, and even, for instance, if he wasn't at a training ground watching training, the training intensity might drop that little 1%, 2%, but you'd notice it because the manager's not there. Because he wasn't in the building. Because he wasn't, you didn't, you didn't feel him, that aura, that he could be on his phone making bets, which he normally would be, <laughs> not interested in training, but his presence alone was enough. And it just made, when you look back and you think it's, it's leadership is just key. 
And we were talking about investing earlier. Yeah. You know, like investing in the, the, the leader. The people, yeah. The people. Like, it's, it's so important, I think. And it, I think every industry, it's like that. Football's where I'm from and that's what it's like there. But I see what, since I've retired, that's replicated in other industries, 100%. Isn't it funny as well with culture? Because you're right. What you said there is basically like, what I've, something I used to think at Social Chain, which is if the culture is strong enough, new people become like the culture. If this culture is weak, the culture becomes like the new people. 100%. Do you know I, what I mean? I, 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 you couldn't have put it any better. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll give you an example. Like, and I, again, I didn't, I didn't say it as eloquently as that when I was playing <laughs> football, but Berbatov came to Man United. Oh yeah, casual Burbs. He was a wicked player, beautiful touch, sexy looking footballer, wicked. And before a big Champions League game, I think it was Barcelona, he just weren't working hard enough for the team. And I need, I had the ball on this side of the pitch and I needed him to come over and help. Mm. Mate, he's just walking like, and I ended up just kicking the ball off and going crazy. What are you doing? Get over! What's wrong? Wait, when I get over, then we'll do it. And that's again, that's not our culture. Mm. At Barcelona, they play, they wait. They, that's their culture. That's not our culture. You want to play Barcelona wait, go Barcelona. Mm. Here, it's not the same. And if you don't buy into our culture, you won't be here long. Mm. And that's the way it was at United. If you came and you weren't in the, you didn't buy into the culture and immerse yourself in it and become part of the fabric of the place, you weren't there more than a year or two or you definitely wasn't an integral member of that squad. And so it was definitely, like you say, the culture is just, you have to become part of that culture that you go into if it's strong enough. You see this in business, it's crazy. You should do, I feel like the perspective you've got from being in that changing room and understand, because this it's the same principles in mm, business. Yeah. It was the same at Social Chain and when, when, when we grew the company and I realised that I had to be like- Did you drive that? 100%. Mm. And my, like it got to the point where what you've described is, people would understand who we were without us having to say, and you'd have your disciples basically introducing new people to the company and going, that's not a social chain thing to do. <laughs> and we'd get that all the time. You'd say, you people in the office would go, and for example, and the crazy, the other point I was going to say is, when the culture's that strong, you, it's so easy to see when someone doesn't fit or mm. they don't stand out. We had, you know, someone start on their first day at social chain and they're doing their initiation. And then they, at the end of the initiation, they f- did two middle fingers and then walked back to their desk. I said, go get him. We fired him. He's gone. First day at Social Chain. And then the second, wow. the second instance where, and it sends a message to the team mm. because they, I never knew, I, it was instinctive to me. I said, that's not a Social Chain person, get them out. There was another instance where we had a girl join who someone had hired and they told me that she used to like bully people at her last place and she had like a really bad attitude and stuff. And actually one of the guys, two of the guys in our team said, oh yeah, we used to work with her and she was a bit of a bully. So uh, I, I, I remember having the conversation and I said, you can't, like I, in a very, very nice way, I said, she, she can't be here tomorrow because that's not who we are here. And th- my team were like, but we need her for this client. We need her for this project. I was uncompromising. I said, no, we're not having her here. Mm. I don't care if we lose the job. The, you know, I can't, I used to say to my team, I can't have my name attached to a culture like where we have people in it who are like that. So she's gone today. I we'll figure it out. If we lose the client, whatever. And and it wasn't until years later that you hear the team come back to you and they say that moment where you, you weren't willing to let that person we needed in the team because they weren't right for the culture. Mm. They, the team said that to me. And that's exactly what I hear from you. Mm. I'm not blowing smoke up my own ass because I didn't realise yeah, But you've recognised that. It, the- it, was in, it, was, it wasn't intentional. It was, I just wanted to enjoy my life and the company to be a really, really clear certain way. And I felt that that's what we needed to do to succeed. And in hindsight, and as you say it to me, I'm like, oh yeah, it was no, being unnegotiable, right. right? Yeah, and that's what Sir Alex Ferguson was great at. If he saw something that was going to be detrimental to the culture of the club, 
it was out. That was a non-negotiable. Even if you needed them. So you look at Roy Keane. Yeah, yeah. Was the captain. Was the leader. The rules been broken. You're gone. David Beckham, mm. peak of his powers. Mm. Going out of a Spice Girl, bringing all sorts of eyeballs to the football club, making an international play. See you later. Yap Stam, the best centre-half in the world at the time, said something about some of the players in a book or something. Goodbye. Ruud van Nistelrooy, the best number nine in the world at the time. Goodbye. Like, if you don't fit the culture and you don't adhere to the rules that are there, good night. And we'll move on and we'll build around other people. It's crazy. It's like, and where, at the time you sit there and you think, Bex, you can't sell Bex, man. <laughs> Jesus, who's going to come in? Like, it's like, number seven, sells all the shirts. Like, everyone loves him. Everywhere we go, Bex is like a Beatles. Like, crazy. Same with Rude Van Isteroy. You're thinking, how are we going to score goals now, man? Who's going to score us the goals? Rooney and, and Ronaldo are, are really young, still inexperienced. But he had that belief and that vision just to like, it was the culture over everything. No one's bigger than the club. Yeah, no one's bigger than the club. It's so true, man. And and again, like you say, that reverberates around the dressing room. Mm. Right, you better stay in line. You better just like live by the rules that are here already and stay part of that culture. The hard work, the intensity, the respect. And so like, you, he, he would dig out the most experienced player who hasn't even done anything. And you'd sit there and go, what like, what are you shouting at me for? But he was doing that to you because he knew you could take it, but the effect that it have on the young ones or the other ones. Do you know what I mean? So playing the mind games, man, I love it. It's good. But you only really, the mad thing is when you're in it, you like know. you're saying, you're talking about social chain, you probably didn't realise at the time. <laughs> but when you sit back and you're outside and you look back in that bubble, you think, shit, man, yeah. That's why I, I didn't think about it, but that's why I've done it. Yeah, and yeah. It was right. Yeah. And I'm right now or I'm wrong, whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? And that's how we think about like certain things that Fergie done. You think actually, he weren't just lucky, man. He actually he obviously was plotting and planning that type of stuff. I am. Um, I wonder how much of that stuff was intentional with him though, in terms of like, he, I'm sure he wasn't going in the back room and planning it. It's just like, surely it's just like who he was. And I sometimes think, you know, you get managers that'll come into clubs and they'll try and be like Fergie, but you can't because you can't act for that long and that consistently. Because from what you're saying about Fergie, it's like, it's not like four things he's doing. It's a thousand things he's doing consistently, which show his values, mm. right? And you can't act for 27 years, whatever it is, across a thousand touch points. So it makes me feel like, like how do you teach that? Like it was, in, it was, it almost feels like it was just instinctive to Fergie. Yeah, I think it was instinctive. He was, he's, that was just him. He, and, and don't forget his experience as well would have played a big part in that. He was at the club for like 26 or so years, 27 years. So that's, there's a, a valuable amount of experience gained in that time. But I always look at it like when I went into the main United change room, I sat there and just looked around and thought, who's good at what? And let me just take elements of, the, of these people and add it to my, my game and my preparation and my recovery. And that's what I've done. Ryan Giggs was great at recovery and preparation. Done yoga and stuff like that. Took that out of his, of his, of his book. Roy Keane, leadership, the way he demanded standards on a daily basis. Skulls, his best levels in training every day. Like all them things. I was just trying to, trying to be like little pe- part, uh, parts of different people. Mm. And then that allows hopefully for you to grow into a better person, a better player, etc. And I think that's the same with, with other industries and business. Since I retired, it's like, you go in and try and be like someone else, you're going to fail because you can't be like the original. But if you're taking bits from elsewhere, you might be able to get beyond that 
what you see as the best because you're getting more, you're taking more good things from that person, but then from various other people to build maybe past that. Mm. And that's the way I try and work with stuff now in my life. There's no one person gonna make, that's gonna make me the best at what I wanna be, mm. but a, a group and taking from everywhere, I've got a better chance. People never talk about the things that Fergie was bad at. Well, Roy Keane does, but other than that, I never hear people saying, and I've got his book somewhere knocking around as well, but you never hear players talking about some of the things where you think, do you know what? I actually think he would have gone, been more successful if he didn't do that thing. Do you know, it's weird. When people die or when people retire, yeah. you only remember the good stuff, really. Mm. Interesting. You only think about what they, they their, their existence before becomes magnified and you, they're built up even bigger sometimes. And Fergie, I think that's with him as well because you just don't, you don't think, I can think of instances or, or tactics he's got wrong. That's easy to find, but, but he'd always make stuff right. It was weird. Like, um, even for instance, the anti-racism stuff mm. and the situation, I only saw the documentary my brother, brother uh, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we he went to a couple of awards actually yesterday. I saw it but, uh, yeah, as well. Yeah, so he, um, the situation happened with him and John Terry and I decided not to wear the, the next, well, one of, during that period, once a year, all the teams are given T-shirts, show racism the red card or kick racism out one of the campaigns. I wasn't willing to wear it because I didn't believe that they supported enough in the, during that, that time. So I said, I'm not wearing it. He went crazy. Find me. I was like, we end up winning the game, which was okay, which was lucky. But the next day I, I went into his office to just try and explain to him why I hadn't won the t-shirt and to be fair he, he said you know what I understand and I'm sorry for the way I reacted but like stuff like that he might make a mistake or he'd done that wrong but he'd always rectify it he'd always come back round you get you back round somehow and because he was just like a I don't know he just he knew how to deal with people he knew how to treat people to get the best out of them for what his main goal was how'd you teach that? I don't know, man. That's just, just, I think that's something that's inside. Being able to deal with people, read people, treat your team. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So that they're running through brick walls for you. Because he'd come in a room and he'd say to you, you're not playing. And I'd be, you'd want to scream and you'd be like, blood will be boiling. But he'd leave the room and you go into the change room and you're sitting in there, geeing everyone up. Come on, boys. Not sulking. Because he's told you Tuesday you're playing. Because I need you for that game. You've missed this one. This is a big game, but you're going to play on Tuesday. Like normally you miss a game. You, you, you want to go home and cry about, about it. Do you know what I mean? But he's managed to build you back up. And that's my management. And in any industry, that's, that's like a massive part of, again, the culture, but maintaining and sustaining a, a successful company or a successful football club. You need to be able to build people, pick them up, knock them down sometimes, but be able to keep them on that track with you. The contradiction I hear with, with within like the story you recount of Sir Alex versus the one I see in the newspapers is you hear about the, you know, kicking the football boot at Beckham and this guy who on the, who in the sidelines looks like he's out of control. But what you're describing calculated. is like super self-aware. Yeah, calculated. And he's actually pretending to be out of control yeah. when so he needs to be. We used to talk about it all the time, especially me and Emmanuel Vidic. And Vida's a deep guy, loves talking about deep stuff, gets deep into really? stuff. Yeah, he loves it. Like, I thought he was just a murderer. No, no, he <laughs> just loves like the beyond, behind, what, how was he thinking about that, etc. We used to always talk about the manager. And like, you look back and it's like anything, he, everything he'd done was like calculated. Like, 
the way he spoke on the TV, blaming the ref. So like very rarely did he come on, he didn't come on TV and ever hammer none of the players individually. We could lose a game and the referee would be the, front, the back page the next day. But he's taking the heat off us. He's making us think about it's not us. We're not down in the doldrums. It's because of the referee. That's dangerous sometimes because you've, you've got your self-accountability. But he makes there's enough self-accountability in the building, but also the focus is over there now, not on us as a team. So we go again mm. without that pressure. Oh, they've lost. They're not as good anymore. But the referee was a reason. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Just like, that's just like calculated. This is what I'm doing for the goodness of my team and the betterment of my team is good, man. But people think anger, and like you were a player that wasn't, wasn't afraid to shout at someone. I heard you talking mm. about some of the players you gave a hard time, like Anderson, etc. cetera. Mm. What, what is... Still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the chat room, in the, in the WhatsApp group. Yeah, really? Yeah. What, what role does anger play in leadership then? Because you see it in football, but if, if, if I were to start screaming at people in the same way that you did to, yeah. I don't know, Berber or whatever, imagine if I just fucking kicked this table and said to yeah, the team, yeah. what the fuck, the camera's not working. I would be, I'd, I'd be cancelled. Everyone would walk out. Yeah. I, I talk about this with my missus quite a lot now. We like some of the stuff that we are t- when I, we're talking about memories and whatnot and how we spoke to Sansa or what's happening in the change room would never happen in the office because it's like you say it's like that that relationship's over. Mm. It's gone too far. Whereas you could have a fight at football and then you're shaking hands and having a laugh in the shower after. It's so different. It's just a different way of of working. But I think it's understanding people. I don't think you treat any two people the same. In that sense, like it's, uh, the blanket treatment, I don't think is the is the best way to treat a team, because everyone's different. Everyone takes advice differently. Everyone takes criticism diff- differently. So, you've got to be able to pick the right people to be able to shout at. To pick the right people, you've got to get an arm round, mm-hmm. and and that's about as again a, a manager, a captain, knowing that team, knowing that play that the players individually. All this coming into work and ghosting everybody is mad. I don't get it. I don't think you can create that environment for success mm. if you're going to come in and not know nobody. And that's another one of his, Sir Alex's great traits is that he knew everything about everyone. Like if you're, you're, you're my granddad was in hospital once. I met my granddad probably twice in the, in the uh, players' lounge after a game. Knew my granddad's favourite drink, brandy. A flower was turned up at my mum's house. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm. that stuff there then people are coming to work for you every day mm. after stuff like that. It's little things, little details, not any time out of your diary, really. His PA's probably done it all, mm. but his name's at the bottom. Mm. It's like big, it's, it's little, little percentages like that are just a, a key. It's funny because th- those little gestures help, help you know that he does care about you, mm. regardless of what happens on the training ground or in the match. Mm. Fundamentally, he cares about you and wants you to do well. Mm. And he's, you know what I mean? You're not enemies, you are. And so I think, by him setting that as the foundation, it's clear that having that as a foundation allows him to put pressure on mm. in the right places, it seems. Yeah. And, he, and you're not his mate. Yeah. Either. Well, really? No, you're not, you're not his mate. I speak to him more now than I did when I played. Really? Because there was that line mm. and that he felt was always needed to be there, that, that we can have a little laugh here and there, but in the end of the day, I'm the manager. Mm-hmm. You guys do your thing there and have a laugh, etc. But then there's that line you don't go past. So... But he just got it right. And I think that's down to experience as well. He would have learned that. And a lot of the guys used to say he was, he was even crazier before you guys came when he was younger. So he's obviously worked. He, and he, he worked out as well. The, the new generation of player couldn't take that anger and that 
craziness like the old generation. Like probably my generation was probably the last generation that you could do that with. The next ones, the younger ones, the Andersons, the Nani's, the Ronaldo's, etc. That's not the way that they 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 don't respond as well to that type of criticism and anger and aggressiveness. What was the angriest you ever saw him? Too many times. <laughs> too many times. The times when he kicked the boot at Bexy's head was was a and you're in there crazy one. Yeah, that was crazy. What happened? What was the angriest you ever saw him? Too many times. <laughs> too many times. The times when he kicked the boot at Bexy's head was was a and you're in there crazy one. Yeah, that was crazy. What happened? That, it was uh, it was mad. It was it was funny, man. It was actually funny. I got to be honest. I can't lie. <laughs> But the manager was, he kicked the boot in anger because he asked Bex to do something tactically that he didn't carry out. And he booted, the, and listen, anybody, I don't care what, Ronaldo playing today on Messi wouldn't have hit the target the way he hit the target. <laughs> it was it was so clean. And the ball went in slow-mo like, woof, 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 bang. And it hit him in the head. And then obviously Bex got, was upset, got up. And I just remember the gaffer was devastated. You could tell, you could see when he looked at him, he sat down, he was just slumped almost like, Phew. He, that's not what he'd done. He kicked the boot for. He kicked it in anger and it accidentally hit mm. Bex in the head. So he looked devastated with it. But that was one that was... I'd had a few scrapes of him in terms of... I didn't agree with things that he'd done a couple of times and uh, I was screaming and he didn't He didn't take too well to it and he lost it and he just would go purple over the top of you and just spray you screaming in front of you like that. Like crazy. So, but he was... Uh, what it was, it was never personal, which is that why you respected it, and you kind of, it kind of, it kind of always was washed away because he, you knew that deep down he want, just wants you to do well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't vindictive. It wasn't personal. Just do what I'm telling you to do, and you will will win. I heard you say that that culture isn't there now. It's t- it's all friendly now, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's mates. Everyone's like, for instance, everyone's mates and commenting on each other's posts on social media. So you're more attached to someone. You're more involved with someone. Whereas before, I would only see certain players twice a year, home and away. So I've got no attachment to you. So for, to me, have a bit of venom or to go at you a little bit was normal. And I've got no qualms about doing that because I ain't going to see you again. don't care. I might see you at England camp or something like that, but I don't, that's like three or four times a year. So we're colleagues. Exactly. We're not really matey. Yeah. Whereas now they're in the tunnel, they're all shaking, cuddling. Yeah, man, comment on your post the other day. It's very different. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just different. Is it bad? So I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's different. So going into, into battle, into a game, I've got no emotional ties or no social media ties to anybody. Mm. So I can, it, it, there seemed to be that bit more... It, I don't know if there's more passion before to now, but it seemed to be like there yeah, was. Yeah. Because and I think all of this stuff with social media makes it a bit more fluffy. And people are hugging and shaking hands and whatnot now because they've spoken or had a message or liked a, a post. Very different. Me and my and my friends in my Manchester United chat, when uh, one of the observations that we have all the time is like, why is why has everyone been so nice to each other? And mm. you, you I remember last week there was a, a tweet went out from one of the United um press people and it was just a quote of something Harry Maguire had said on the field mm. and he'd basically screamed uh, I don't know Rash, Rash or someone it, else yeah. yeah and he'd said like get fucking back in line or whatever mm. it's like trending on Twitter yeah yeah because you don't like, see it because you don't see it anymore 
And then, and then also, I, you know, love him, love him or whatever, but watching uh, Ollie fist bump the managers with a smile on his face, we, we've been grown up as United fans yeah. with a certain, we would, Fergie would look fucking furious to even have to look at the opposing manager. And, and it just feels different now. And then we look at where we are and how we're performing in the big games and we're not winning like we used to. And we're all saying, oh, that, you know, we're becoming like Arsenal or something. Mm. <laughs> but we, we, everyone always like clings on to the history in it and, and yeah, the past. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the problem as a football fan. I'm the same. Like you just want it to be like it was before, please. Mm. Like, but it's never going to be the same. It may be a successful or even more successful one day, but it will never be the same. So our expectation level sometimes just have to change a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, again, like it was coming in anyway, because like, for instance, I remember Gerard Piquet hugging and, and fist pumping, etc., in a tunnel with Fabregas. And we were mad rivals with Arsenal at that point, like Pizzagate and all that stuff. And it, he got hammered after that Piquet in our change room. What are you doing? Before a game, you're sitting there chatting or, or, or we'd make fun of him a little bit. There's two different ways you ridicule and get someone in line, either humour or being firm. And he probably got both. But it was, it was that was, a, you could sense a change coming. It was coming. And obviously social media, I think, has accelerated that, definitely. Ed Woodward as well. A lot of controversy surrounding him at the moment again because mm. for better or for worse. Have you had him on? No, not yet. No, mm, be good. It's, yeah, when the when the when we can travel a little bit more, we'll we'll. Uh, I think he'll he'll come on. But um, I, I remember hearing the story about the exit treatment that you had with him, and I wondered if you were still somewhat bitter about that. I heard you know one of your last games at the club, and he comes into the training room and tells you that you're you're not going to be playing for the club anymore. You didn't get your send off. Yeah, of course. I think there's not there's nothing that anyone could tell me that wouldn't make me feel that was the wrong way. Would Fergie have done that? No. And Fergie zero? No. He would have told me before the end of the season because he knows what it means. But the difference is that Fergie was a footballer and he knows what it means. He knows what it is to be able to say thank you for your support, etc. Just have that little runway to a send-off. Now listen, I understand not everybody can have it that way, but if you've got, if you know mm. and you've got the opportunity to give someone the best possible route out of a, a situation, you give it to them. And my situation, I think it was, you could see down the line from month, a month, two months before that, that you knew what was going to happen with me. So give me the opportunity to have the best possible send-off given the time, given the relationship that I built with the club. So that was my, my only discrepancy of the whole way it worked out because it wasn't like, oh, actually a knee-jerk situation, knee-jerk decision. So, but I think, listen, Ed knows how I feel about it, but... We've moved on past that. I'll speak to him on the phone about various different things anyway, and we meet up sometimes, so it's cool. But those small moments, that's an isolated incident. Mm. But that's, that isolated incident is attached to a wider philosophy in the same way that Fergie had this like wider philosophy of like, you know, sending your, your, your granddad the, the flowers and that's attached to a wider philosophy. So although that's just one instance, I think the risk that I would see, and when I hear things like that, is I think, well, that same philosophy of like not really caring, being that empathetic, mm. it's got to be popping up in other places, right? Like, oh, 100%. And that again, we, we've said culture about 10 times already in this conversation. Yeah. But that's, that's, a, that's part of a culture. Yeah. Like, there has to be, like you say, compassion, empathy, respect. As and a family, right? Like, that's it, what the club was. And that was the way I used to explain Man United. I left Leeds, which was like a family. A small, I used to say this is a smaller version 
without obviously the success, but a smaller version in terms of the people here, been here for 30 years, 40 years, 20 years. My dad used to work here. My mum used to work here. Like it's a family club. Man United was that when I was there. My fear is that it becomes something else. Some of the waiting staff, I had a box at Man United. Mm. And it's funny, this is a staggering thing for me, because you don't think of, you know, the, the waiting staff in the box are going to notice a cultural shift at the club, mm. right? But they would tell me, they, they said to me, you know, when Fergie and David Gill were here, it was different. I'm like, how did it touch the waiting staff that served me? Because they know all their names. Yes, that's what they said to me. They know all their names. They, it's like, they had a relationship. David yeah. Gill had a relationship with the, the person giving me a steak. And, it, and I just thought that was staggering that this, you know, Anything about how strong the culture must be and how important it must be for the waiter giving me a, you know, some chips to be like, it's different now. The dinner lady at the, the training ground, I actually spoke to her on the way here, funny enough, just me a voice note, but the dinner lady, Carol, she could have banter with the manager or David Gill. Like first name terms. Banter that had been spread over a number of years so they could go back and have a proper mm. back and forth. He knew the name of the groundsman, but it was like, and, and if, if, I, if I'm at Man United now, that is part where I'm going. That, that has to be recreated. Bring that back. Because that's a strength. Like I said before about strength in numbers. That's the foundation of the football club. People come in that place and think, oh my God, they're all Man United here. They all feel part of it. That, that creates... And does that start with Fergie and David at the top? Is that- yeah, I think it has to. And that's why I look back on things like that and like... You, you speak to any of the people that work there, that, that was a big part of it. Because everyone thinks it's the, it's the, it's the first 11, the, the, <laughs> the team, the squad, the first team that play, that's Man United. It's not. It's the fans and it's all the people that work behind the scenes to enable that first 11, that team, that squad to go out there and perform. Mm. If them people out around that aren't working, that's what the managers say. All these people, the kit man, the physio, nutritionist, the dinner lady, etc. These lot help you, enable you to be successful. So don't forget that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And all those people have an expectation of the performance and like the, they all become winners. Like as a United fan growing mm. up, I was like, we win. Yeah, 100%. And, and the, you know, as a fan, I was like, yeah, no, we, we come and we win. Mm. And then at some point when Fergie left, I'm like, I'm not so sure really what happens sometimes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you know that crazy thing Fergie had in the last couple of minutes of every game mm. where he thought, we're going to fucking win this. There's only mm. two minutes left. But somehow... But you know, like, all the things I just mentioned there about the club as well, that does that is a byproduct of success as well. It, that becomes easier. It's like a self-fulfilling cycle, yeah, right? exactly. Like, when you're winning, it's like everything. When you're successful and you're winning, everything's kind of run smoothly, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. And then obviously when things start to go a little bit wrong, you see so many more bumps in the road, so many more splinter groups come out and start pointing the finger, et cetera. So I just think that it's, it's keeping it, getting that culture right and getting the people who feel part of the club. And then you win with that as well. There's no better kind of... And you've got to, to defend go. it, right? You've got to defend the culture again because the culture is mm. the thing that made you win. Yeah. And so you might get some, you know, big people getting too big for their boots or whatever or distracted and then Fergie's just got this great reputation of bit defending that culture as the most important thing and are you, that's, you know, people say why did he win how, how did he win for 20 odd years no one else has managed to do that in the modern era and it's just that but it's, it's I always put it down to as well things like dedication desire like he was always the first in the training ground I, try, I used to try and beat him to get in the training ground sometimes take my kids to school and get there like we used to start at like half nine. You have to be in at half nine. I used to get in sometimes at eight o'clock. 
and his car's there already. Last to leave most of the time. That's again, that goes back to the point I said about showing your kids rather than telling them, mm. be early, be a, just be there. You, you're there, they, then they know you're, he's always there. You can't be late. Mm. Why are you late? The manager's there, he's been 26 years and, you're, and he's, he's early every day and you're not. He's obviously prepping. Like you don't do your prep work in the gym, why? Mm. I remember Roy Keane pulled a meeting, called a meeting because he thought that the young players weren't doing the extras. Now why are you going home before an ex- that experienced player there? Is that when, what he said to them? Yeah, when you're you're on the start of, of the ladder. How, what, so he called an actual meeting? Yeah, so that he just said to the lads, listen, go, like after training, all come in, or before training, all come in a change room. And everyone sat down and he was like, listen, I've got to say it because I'm seeing it every day and it ain't good for the club. Some of you young boys, I'm seeing you, and some of even the, older, the, the players that are a little bit older than that, but how can you be going home before him? He's doing extras, working outside, or he goes in the gym, or before training, I see Santo doing that, and you're just messing about in, in the, in the uh, uh, canteen or something like that. It's valuable time. Don't miss it. Short career. Things like that. But that's, again, the manager allowing people to manage a change room. Mm. And that's how it was there. You had people that managed a change room, and you had the manager that oversaw it all. What was the difference between some players that arrive at Manchester United and ultimately end up reaching their potential and then some that don't? And there's been a lot of, t- you know, well written about players that never reach their potential. Is Was there a commonality that you saw that made it? Because I'm like Gary Neville. I'm like, he wasn't the most, <laughs> I like the guy. You know, he's actually managed me once in this charity game. I like the guy, but he didn't strike me as the most naturally talented player. Hard work. But he thought, yeah. So and then you hard work, other- dedication, attention to detail, application on a daily basis. Like this is the thing. A lot of people think I've worked hard for two weeks and I've got, I haven't, I haven't got any rewards out of it. The manager's still not playing me. I'll give up. No, that's got to be, we are talking before, a lifestyle. Mm. Hard work every day is a lifestyle. That should be like the, the standard. Mm. That's the standard that, that is here. And you've got to be at that every day. There's none of this taking your foot off the pedal because it's difficult. Well, Carlos Carroll said to me, you can't just switch it on and off. Like that mentality, that intensity, the dedication, the hard work on a daily. But you can't just go, I'll work hard on Monday to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'll just chill. And then Saturday, switch it on again. Mm. Uh, habits, lifestyle, all the time like that. So when it comes to match time, it's not a big shift because your body can't deal with that. Your mind can't deal with that. If it's normalised, this is normal on a Saturday, three o'clock, 60,000 people screaming, 100 million people around the world. That's not pressure. I do this every day. One of the like alienating things when people might hear you talk and they think, oh, well, almost intimidating is like, well, Rio's mentality is just so fucking like disciplined and, you know, he's got it now. And then, no, I did. Listen, I, I weren't perfect. This is what Let's I was going to ask. Is like, tell perfect. me about, tell me how you weren't perfect. Yeah, I weren't perfect. It took me a long time to start understanding like your body, understanding your mindset and my state of mind had to, to be a tip top condition, both mentally and physically on a, on a game day. And at West Ham, I didn't have it. Leeds, I didn't have it because I was inconsistent. I was really, I trained hard, but then I'd be going out every every other night. I'd go out four or five times a week, parties, pissed. Like West Ham, I don't remember a lot of results or certain things when people say, well, what about that game when you, I actually can't remember. I was that, I used to be going out and get pissed so often. And then I got to Man United and I just was surrounded by people that had won and I was desperate to win. So what do you do? to win I'm going to copy off him 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 like we spoke about mm. before and then you become part of that 
And then you realize that none of these lot are going out all the time. So if I'm going to go out and continue that lifestyle I had before, my levels are obviously always going to be a bit below these guys because you can't sustain that. Hmm. You're always working it from a less, from a, a lower standpoint. So yeah, I, I changed that and listen, I still made mistakes, but my intentions and my desire was to always be as good as I could be. I wanted to be better than Vida, Vidic, hmm. John Terry, Sol Campbell. I need to be the best. When people talk about the best centre-back, I need to be the first name on their lips. So what What can I do? I was that like, obsessed with it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And uh, why the, the lads why, wouldn't why probably the, the lads wouldn't have probably known how in, obsessed I was with it because I would never show that really. But inside, the thought that someone thought that someone else is a better centre back than me used to like it would eat away at me. Why? Because I just pride, ego. We all got egos. You want to be the best, and I was never ashamed of myself to be, to feel like that. I say that, that that I didn't say it at the time because it etiquette it's not the thing to do in American sports they do it they, they talk like that which I wish we was more because no, naturally I'm that type of person I would say it I think I'm the best on it so I don't care like, I would say now I thought I was the best centre back but I was always I just wanted to be the best whether I was or not it's for other people to decide but I was that was my always my intention you and Vidic partnership hmm. a lot of my friends at the moment I swear I've been I'm a big fan of Harry Maguire and uh, what, what he does mainly because I, I, from what I hear he's one of the only leaders in the back line mm. like you know always shouting what was it that made you and Vidic so successful as a partnership because my, my friends they'd do anything to have you guys back mm. what was it about you two because you're, you're known as in my opinion the best centre back partnership we've ever had that's why I'm here because I knew you'd say that I appreciate that man <laughs> <laughs> no um, I don't know man it is it He had attributes that just complemented mine and vice versa. What, what, tell uh, me he, was a, he, he wanted to go and attack every ball. Okay. When the ball got kicked in the skies, he just saw one thing and that was the ball. Mm. And he was better at that than me. Okay. But I read stuff and would clean up around all of that and was more of, I don't know, I read the game probably a little bit different to him. And, mm. But at the same time, I, could, I was capable of going up and winning the ball. And then he'd do that with me whether he was as good at me at cleaning up or not for other people to decide. But like, I, I, I don't know, it was just, we just complimented each other. And, and what it was, there was a pride about our defending us two. So you see a lot of people, it's like me. Mm. I'm the best. I want to be the best, which is true. But my, the overriding factor of me wanting to be the best is that we don't concede and we're a partnership. I'm going to be, I've got your back. And that's what he used to say before a game. Vida, you go up, I'm behind you, don't worry. When I go up, you're behind me, yeah? That's all it was all the time. You challenge, I'm behind you. Don't worry, just go for the ball. Go for the man. Take the man and the ball. I'm here if it goes wrong. And it's that having that sense of security for each other. There was a, a chant, Vidic's chant about him being a bit of a murderer. Yeah, yeah, crazy. How did he How did he feel about that? And like, <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's quite an unassuming guy. He's really right. like, he's not really taken or, or by anything. Right. They say that about me? Oh, cool. It's good. Not bad. Not bad. And then carries on with life. Like, he's really just chilled man he's so different to what he's like on really? the pitch just a chill guy he's an intense guy to be fair intense and some players may have found him at times quite moody at times and just really like in with what he's doing because he's so intense and he would really like to think about a lot of stuff and probably overthink certain situations but I got on really well with him he's one of my my closest guys at, at Man United when I was there you still talk just, to him now? 
Yeah, I talk to him now on the text and stuff. He's living in Milan at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah. One of the things that um, has happened since your playing days is there's been a, a huge rise in the conversation around mental health. Hmm. It wasn't a conversation back then, really. Um, mm-hmm. Even even for me growing up, that d- didn't know what it meant. I'll be completely honest. I thought mental health was um, someone goes crazy. Psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah, just in a straitjacket or something. That's why we always thought it was. That's all the depiction of someone that's lost their mind and... Um, we've come to learn about it in a much different way now. We view it as a sort of intrinsic part of health, but everyone has mental health and it it can sit on some kind of spectrum, right? Based on what happens. Um, I, I was wondering back then, like the players in that dressing room, they had mental health then, they had mental health issues and stuff then, but I'm guessing it was never addressed. It was never talked about or... Uh, I, I had done a documentary on BBC about like grief and bereavement and stuff. And obviously mental health is a huge part of that. And I got to understand mental health through that journey of making a documentary and understanding that when I played, again, mental health was not a a thing at all. And it was never considered. There was no compassion. And if you acknowledged your mental health and started to talk about it as I have problems or an issue, you was then seen as a weak link. Whether it was spoke about or not, it was there. That would be the case. That would be the, how you would see that whole situation. And so no one then talks about it through fear of being called the weak link. Mm. Um, and I look back now and think, yeah, definitely, if, if we would have been more open, if we had had today's thought process about mental health, we would have got more out of certain players, definitely. Really? Um, yeah, because Louis Saha, for instance, what a player. Yeah. Unbelievable footballer. Had injuries, but uh, along with the injuries, that brought a mental health problem for him. And like a bit depressed and down and whatnot because he felt he was letting everyone down. That's what you feel when you're, you're injured. You feel you're letting your teammates down. And it's hard to deal with sometimes, especially if you just keep getting little injuries and you, you come back, you go again, you come back and people start, oh, he's always injured. Mentally, he's not strong, is he? Don't fancy it. And you, as a player, you know them conversations are going on. So you start thinking about that. And when people see you, you think he's all, he, he doubts me anyway. Mm. And so that mental warfare that goes on, it could be sorted out through conversation, mm. acknowledging certain things. But you're taught in a macho dressing room that talking is seen as a weakness back then. I think there's big changes now. Like you say, the narrative now is very different. So you'd like to think it's changing and clubs are more aware of that. I um I remember watching that documentary. Remember, I think I remember where I was when I watched it because it really, really hit me. Hmm. And like, there's, I don't watch a lot of TV, but also I'm. Uh, it's quite hard for, to make something impact me. But because you were so vulnerable as someone that I you know grew up watching as a kid, and you were able to to be emotional, it it yeah it really it hits it hits you in a completely different way. Hmm. Tell me about your thought process. Why you wanted to do that? Because I'm betting it wasn't easy, right? No, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was hard, man. But it was, it was mainly for my kids, if I'm honest. And for everyone else. Because I wanted my, obviously my kids lost, they lost their, their mum. So again, it's like, it goes back to that same point. You can't just keep telling them sometimes. It's, it'd be nice to have something you can just show them. And that speaks for itself. And it's visual as well. And so they get a clear idea of where we're all at, where we was at and how we've got to this point of hopefully a little bit of healing. And on that journey, we realised, actually, we're going to help a lot of people here. So many more than just 
selfishly our own family. So it became like a real, real um, a positive journey for us in that sense of of working out what it means to talk, to communicate your feelings, how much benefit that is to you as an individual, but also other people. Um, it, working on relationships and how it can change a relationship when you are talking. And and so again, my, it was a difficult journey because you've got to open up, like you say, show that vulnerable side to you. And, and, and again, I, it, that's probably again what, that's how we started the conversation. I wasn't scared to do that. It was a difficult situation, but I weren't scared of doing that because I knew at the end of the day, my kids are going to benefit from this. Mm. And whatever that, however this journey goes, I'm willing to to be a part of it for that for that one reason. And then when it was when it when it was um, finished, and we won a BAFTA in the end with it. And wow. the great part of it is that you walk down the street or you go down the aisle in Sainsbury's or where Tesco's, wherever it is, and an old age lady or a man come up to you, you know what, the tear in the eye or something like that, and the throat's all croaky and I watch your program. I've never spoken before, really. You helped me. That stuff, that's the the reward that you get from something like that, that I didn't anticipate. Mm. And you, one of the things you you said when I was, you know, hearing you talk about mental health and really the, I guess the crux of the documentary is that the healing comes from opening up and communicating. Mm. Um, and in fact, you might never get over what happened and you don't necessarily need to, but it's like when you take it out from the the closet in the back, you know, back part of your mind, because you were talking about compartmentalizing it yeah. a lot. And mm. that was how you were, you were handling it at first. And, you know, I think a lot of the data shows that when you try and compartmentalize grief or trauma, yeah, but, yeah. But, it, but it comes at you in other ways, yeah. right? And it, it jumps out. Yeah. And and you, you get bad habits. You, you fall into holes that you never knew were ever possible to go down. And then to get back out of them is it becomes it like almost an impossible journey. So it was, it was, and that's how I probably would have been with a lot of stuff in my life before you just compartmentalize it. You put it over there. You don't think about it, but you've never dealt with it. You've never got that situation out and unpacked it mm. and then used it to bring some sort of positivity to your life. People don't want to open it though. No, because it's scary. Yeah. Vulnerable. And today I'd rather just get through today than unpack that stuff. Yeah. And have feel to go it. through that stuff. I have to go through them feelings, them emotions. Have to have that hurt a little bit again. But I've, I've we said it to the kids all the time. Like, like sometimes crying is such a a relief. Sometimes, and the weight off it that goes off your shoulder sometimes when you you do release that emotion is like it's crazy. You can't really put it into words what it feels like at times. That you've had that them moments where you felt really down or you're missing someone. And then you have a little bit of emotional time on your own or with friends or with family, whatever it is. And then you, there's a smile immediately comes sometimes out of the back of it mm. because you feel actually, I actually feel better now. And you got, you move on, you carry on with your day. But it is, it's a, it's a, that type of situation that we've kind of been through, it, it's never gone, mm. but you learn how to deal with things that bit better all the time. What are some of the, the, the sort of techniques you use to try it when you do feel down or you feel like, you know, there's something bugging, playing on your mind and stuff and you might be getting a bit anxious about something. Is there anything that you've learned from your experiences that helps you um, in those moments, like outside of talking or strategies or is there, one of the things that I was, um, I've started doing, and this is, might sound really strange, is mm. when I, so what will happen with me is something will be playing on my mind and I try and tell myself, oh, you can deal with that. You're fine. 
whatever. And then three hours later in the shower and you're still thinking about it. And I know that it's going to harm me if I don't like address it. So I will literally, this sounds like fucking bonkers. First time I've ever said this, I'll literally say it out loud and I have this like weird conversation with myself where I say, Steve, like you're feeling, I'll go literally, you're feeling like this because of this and this. Mm. And yeah, it's making you feel a bit like, you know, uh, it's making you feel a bit bad at the moment or whatever. Um, but, it, but then I try and reason with myself as if I'm talking to someone else mm. and it has really helped me. Um, it's, but it makes me feel like a nutter. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand 100% <laughs> what, what you're mean? saying. But you, you know, I'm fortunate I've got a, a, an unbelievable wife who I can talk to. Like communication is a massive part and where I've improved in my life, 100%. So I, I, that conversation you're having there, I'll have with my wife. Mm. And I'm lucky. How she helped you with that? Oh, Massively. I don't probably tell her enough, but like what, what she's brought to my life in terms of being able to open up to communicate, not only with her, but with my kids now. I speak to my kids in a different way now in terms of, because I know communicating and letting them show their feelings, trying to just always, if there's a situation that's, for instance, Mother's Day just gone. Obviously in my house is quite, it's a, my mum passed away and the babies, their mum passed away as well. So Mother's Day is, and then Kate's a new mum. So there's so many dynamics in the house on that one day. The emotional kind of energy in the house on that day is, is like through the roof. Mm. And so to manage that and to make it a, a, a day where everybody's enjoying it and happy and celebrating Mother's Day, is that's a task in itself. But talking to the kids, we had a conversation on Mother's Day at the table. We was eating food and stuff and it was like... um my little boy was like, oh, like, I said to him, like, you, you don't post anything on, on Mother's Day, do you? And he's not an emotional poster anyway. He just posts about what he likes, like football and stuff and, and whatever. So and he's like, yeah, I was actually thinking of doing it this this um, this Mother's Day, but like, obviously, because like, I wasn't sure what to what to do, like with Kate and mum. So I don't, didn't know what to do. And it was like, Kate almost like, I think she started crying really, because like, I don't want you to feel like that. Post what you feel. Don't worry about no one else. Mm. just post what you feel because no one can tell you what you feel mm. and you're not going to disappoint anybody. Do what you feel. Do you know what I mean? And it's like those conversations I would never have had with my kids before because I just wasn't, I wasn't in that, in that, in that zone. Mm. I was always very like, again, compartmentalized, very closed, closed, but emotionally zero coming out really. Like, but I, that was conditioned because my dad was like that. Oh, right. So, and we talk about that in the doc as well. Like my dad was very, very, he wasn't open with his feelings really and old school very old school West Indian man so that follows through generations mm. so so yeah the, the, the talking is and communicating with, with the kids and Kate and she's the one who's really brought that since I've met her in that sense and I, I'd never be able to thank her enough for that just that one element let alone the other stuff that she's brought to the table you just you don't, you don't talk to her and you think you might not talk to her enough though I don't tell her enough, maybe. How? How? Um, I tell everyone else. Like all my mates know that like, she's been unbelievable for us. She's like, oh, you don't tell her. Enough. But I probably don't tell her enough sometimes. Right. And I, we sometimes have conversations, and she and I'll go, yeah, but I told time so like you, you was like you done it, and she, oh, you told them before me, <laughs> right? Which is crazy, really, isn't it? I should, you, you should really just tell that person. Why don't you? I don't know. It's the old me still about really just probably to, yeah yeah. Probably the old me still about, I don't know. And sometimes a bit like shy, not shy, but embarrassed maybe. I don't know. To say that, yeah. But it's, yeah, I should. 
I will. <laughs> I will. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the clip. You can uh, just let the clip do the talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She'll see this one in. She's going, why didn't you just tell me? Like, yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, as a guy that's single, me, mm. and has struggled for various reasons. I was thinking, reasons. am I? <laughs> sorry? Yeah. I no, I'm not I. you. So yeah, sorry. Um, as a guy that's single and has struggled over the years to, to get into a relationship because I've been busy. Well, this is what the bullshit I tell myself. What so, is commitment issues, is it? Well, well, my parents, so there's, there's a slight issue from my childhood where like my mum and dad used to scream at each other all the time. So I just learned that relationships were like prison because my dad would sit there passively, my mum screaming in his face. And I would, I just learned that as a man, when you get in a relationship, you're in prison and your freedom's gone. And I'm, so I'm someone that now like really doesn't want to give up my freedom. And whenever I get close to that commitment, I feel the fear, mm. which comes, clearly comes from my childhood. But what, what are the things that you, you know, as a guy that is super successful over the last, you know, a couple of decades and now is running businesses and ch chasing a bunch of other ambitions that you have. What are some of the things you've learned about how to have a successful relationship as a busy guy? One of them is communication, I guess, but... Yeah, communication, but I think time management is is massive as well. Really? And yeah, yeah, time management, like, and Kate's helped with that as well, like managing your diary, like I'm busy, I've got a lot of stuff on and out that I enjoy and I want and I'm passionate about, which is key, but I'm as passionate, if not more, about my family as well. So managing that diary to make sure you've got quality time and you've got enough time with your family, but also, you know, you're going to work is so key. But also the time when you're there, be there. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I speak to a lot of guys who are managers, a lot of my friends are managers now. And that's why I'll never go into management, I don't think. Because as a football manager, you have to be, you have to live it, breathe it every minute. Like that's the same in business, but there's a, I don't know, with football, I just find there's a different... It's, it's quite different. We're talking about the way that people talk to each other at football. It's different to an office. Mm -hmm. there's, there's elements that are probably different as manager, I feel. But as a football manager, you're at home, you're having Sunday dinner with your family, but you're not there. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're thinking about that. logistics. You're thinking about the nutritionist. Does he sort things out with the players? That player, is he going to be fit this week or not? I need him fit. That player just got injured at the weekend. I can't believe it. I was thinking about how am I going to replace him? Form, what formation am I going to play? The other team have got a formation. They played different at the weekend. I need to watch that video. I need to watch that for that 90 minutes. They played two games last week different. I go and watch them games as well. It's like that's, that's, that's without thinking about like doing your team talk and doing your tactics on a training pitch and setting up your training sessions for the week. Without thinking about any, and and so when you're at home, you're not home. You're not there really. You're, you're you're physically there, but mentally you're not there. You you might as well not be there. So I never I never wanted to get in that position, especially given what we've been through. So um, I definitely I just kind of wrote that off as being something I'll do because of that reason. And we were talking again before we start recording about your real deep uh, desire to make sure that football isn't a thing that you're you become known for, mm. right? And I. Uh, I I find that that fascinating, but like, um, it's a it's a big mountain to climb, right? Like mm. to get known for some of the things you're doing now. You're heavily involved in business. You're investing. You've got five. Mm. Uh, what are these? What, what we talked about focus as well at the start of your journey, deciding that it wasn't going to be gymnastics, it wasn't going to be ba you know ballet, it was going to be football. Yeah. What is it now? So what that's is, what I mean. What is that, so is that that situation, that scenario, is almost replicating itself now. I'm in that space right now. So when my dad said to me, Rio, what do you want to do? Make a choice. Mm. I've retired and the last four or five years, I've been working out what I'm going to do. I'm trying this. I'm trying that. I'm not scared to try this. I'm not scared to try that. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But then I know I'm not, I'm not, that's not for me. 
And I've kind of getting to a place now where I'm starting to drill down and focus on a f- couple of different spheres. What are those spheres? To go down. So the, the, the five YouTube channel. Yeah. And creating that football hub, that football place to be. Um, my foundation, um, which goes into communities and gets kids that from disadvantaged backgrounds, gives them the opportunity to get an education and then nice. the opportunity to get into work. Um, through the relationships with a few of the commercial companies that I've built relationships with over the years. Um, what else? The, the management company, football management company. So we've got managers and players, past and present, that we manage for about 85, 95 players, um, which is, that's one of my passions. And I get to mentor players within that, which is the, the best bit for me. Where, so for instance, England player, like Michael Keane, Ben Godfrey, Mason Holgate, the Murphy twins, uh, even Chris Wilder, I speak to as well. But I get to mentor these players nice. who I can have some sort of effect given the experience that I've gained over the years. So to have played that little role in a lot of these guys, and I do that with the Premier League players and nationals to players that are from lower leagues mm. or just starting on the journey who haven't made it yet, um, who are 17, 18 years old. So there, I get great kicks out of stuff like that as well. Do you know which path you're going to take? I don't know. I'd love to be able to do all, yeah. but I know it's not possible to be super successful spreading yourself thin like that. So I will eventually go, this is me. It's funny because when I, when I speak to you and I've spoken to you- And obviously all my punditry stuff that I Of course, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a huge thing. Given. Yeah. I, I, when I speak to you, when I spoke to you last time when we met a couple of, I don't know, a year or two ago- We were standing when, in the sea for about 35, about an hour, I think, I think we're talking, remember? Do you remember that in Dubai? Standing? Oh, in that, sea, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was talking about the other time yeah. where like I came, I came to like where, roughly where you live. You came to Social Chain one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came to where you lived and then I forgot the Dubai time, yeah. yeah. But every single time when, when I speak, you look at me in a certain way and I can see it. You're like listening very, and then you start asking questions around certain things. Mm. And you're very, 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 very curious. Mm. And I've noticed this. I feel it. When I start talking, you go, you look at me like this. Mm. Umar used to does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you're, 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 you're another, you do a lot of stuff. You're, you're doing this. You've got a book coming out. Mm. You're investing. Mm. You know, you've, sold it. you've been a part of a company that was valued at 200 plus million pounds. Like you're doing so much stuff. There's a, a theater show you're doing or whatever you, you mentioned before. So there's so much stuff that you're doing. Mm you're spinning plates. I find that exciting. How the fuck are you doing that? Mm. Like, I want to know. I don't want to know like, sometimes it's not even about what you're doing for me. It's how you're doing it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like even the podcast, I'm, you I'm looking at your equipment. Like, I'm looking at your <laughs> equipment. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, all little things like that. I love it. So I don't know. I'm, I've just, I, I've got a curious mind in that sense. Definitely. I, when I was young, I was curious to find out what nightclubs look like inside. <laughs> I mean, that's all I wanted to do was find out. I want to get in nightclubs. That's what I don't want as a West Ham. Yeah. So I mean, you're, you're just a young player just coming up in the Premier League, get invited to everything. I was curious. I mean, but that's for the wrong reasons. You've you've not you've lived this crazy life, right? You've lived a life that me as a young kid growing up in Devon and Plymouth, I was you know watching my little tiny little one foot TV with my brothers, my three brothers sat there. You know, that, that was the life that I wanted to, to lead. And you've gone through that journey. You've, you've now come out the other end and you're doing all this other crazy stuff. As you look back on the span of your career, you must now know that there's certain fundamental things that matter and a lot of shit that doesn't. What are the things that matter? You must now know that there's certain fundamental things that matter and a lot of shit that doesn't. What are the things that matter? 
because I'm a little bit earlier on. So I'm mm. still figuring out some of these things. I'm like, oh, look, money. This is interesting. You know, like. Health, man. Really? Health is the, it's the, it's the biggest, it's the biggest thing. Because when you're healthy, you're so happy. We spoke about it before. Mm. Like confidence, it breeds. How happy you are, and it energizes you. But if you're not healthy, it's, it can be devastating. So health is a massive thing, which I, prob- I didn't consider for many years, probably till we hit that bad patch in our lives. Um, I took it for granted. I mean, the um, pandemic now has been another And the pandemic up. is an absolute, like, if you wasn't awake then, you are woken now to health. And What does that mean for you in terms of staying healthy now? Well, we spoke about it before in terms of, of, of like, what does health mean to it, It's passing it on to the next generation of, of kids, my own kids first and foremost, but then, like, to, to un- kids to understand that going to the gym and just, like, f- in and out, little fads here and there, health kicks here and there, isn't... At me. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about me. It's, it's not a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and we've got friends that we both know who, who are like that as well. And you've been like that before. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's yeah, not, yeah. yeah, it's not the way. To, it's not healthy for starters, but up here, it just leaves you, you're always chasing something. Whereas when you get a consistency with your lifestyle and health, your healthy lifestyle, there's like almost like a... An exhale, like, oh, gee, I get it now. And it becomes, it's not, a, it's not a drain on your life. It becomes something that adds value to your life in the end. And I, I think that's something to try and transfer that over to this next generation of, of, of kids is, I think, a key way. And this pandemic is something that I think can accelerate that and it will accelerate that because, like I said, I'm, I'm on the board at the, the gym group now and trying to get people to understand and get back into coming into gyms is a massive push. It's a massive, it's a key part and how do you do that because it's not only the importance of a spreadsheet it's actually you're doing something that's going to help people now mm. and prevent illnesses from being healthy a lot of the time and help their mental health which people yeah yeah, yeah that's what i'm saying people think it's just physical yeah it's not like i go in the gym and that hour is unbelievable three four times a week because you're on your own or with a, a, a partner or a pt whatever it is and some of your best ideas or yes. best flushing of things yeah, yeah, yeah. is there. All my ideas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, because you're having that time alone and you're getting to sit and not think about anything else, but your reps or whatever it is. And then actually, bang, something hits you. Shit. That's kind of, for later, that's one. I'll, I'll go back to that. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It unlocks so much. It does, yeah. It's my time. I, I said, I'm, so now every day at 9pm, every single day without fail, um, I go to the gym and regardless of how busy I am here which is always too busy <laughs> every day the team say they know that at a certain time I get up and I go to the gym every single day without fail and it's and it's you see it as okay well I'm trying to get muscles it's like no that's where I think of ideas so health and I'm really I'm really happy that you said that because mm. um, I've had that revelation in the last year and I think making Let's health see. cool <laughs> thank you <laughs> making health cool again would um, help more parts of society than we realise mm especially guys that are looking for a sense of purpose in their life, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that, and it's, it's again, this, that's the pandemic as well, maybe created a lot more health conscious people. Mm. And it's just the ways in which they're going to work out now is, is going to be key. And even my kids are the same. Like I was, I, I say to them, I don't want to have to come home and tell you to work out. You should want to work out, just do it. And then I'm sometimes I'm like driving somewhere and all of a sudden one of the boys is, or my little girl, they're running somewhere. Nice. And I, that's like, for me, that's a success 
That's 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 what I want to see. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not forcing them to do it. If they're doing it off their own back now, this could be like their lifestyle for the rest of their life. That they're healthy, living healthy, understand what it means. So, and my two boys want to be footballers as well. So oh, really? it's important for them to to be physically active. As a dad that was a football legend, what do you do to help a son that wants to be a football player get there? Pray. <laughs> <laughs> I pray every night and just say, please, man, let my kids be players like every other parent. Um, I'd give everything for them to play football and be like top players. Seriously, man. But if they don't, uh, this is what I always say to them, but there ain't pressure. If you don't make it, I don't care. It's life. I would love you to be, but if you don't make it, it's fine. You what do positions? something else. One, unfortunately, is a centre-back like me okay. at the moment. And Why, I'm, unfortunately? Because then he'll be judged against me more. If he uh, played a different position, like my other goalkeeper, my other one's a goalkeeper. Ah, uh, okay. Fine. So no one's going to say, oh, he's not, not as good as Rio because he's a goalkeeper. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, but they're both, they're both playing now. They're both a club. So they're, they're happy. They're, they're, the biggest thing, they're enjoying it, which is great. So it's a, it's a basic answer, but it's so true. Do you know what I mean? You're, they're doing something that they enjoy, that they want to get up out of bed every day for. And that's all you want. And it goes back to the same thing. When you're there, you better be working. Don't want this. Like, if a manager comes to me and they're doing the appraisal of your performances the last two months, or they do it every quarter, they come back and tell me that you don't work hard enough. You ain't going because mm. it's, it's embarrassing for yourself to hear that. But do you? Is there anything that you can do? Can you like call someone and be like, give my kid a chance? And because that, that's how I I thought it was. Like, yeah, but every every footballer's kids would have been players then. It's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like saying that your child is going to be able to build a two hundred million pound company because you have. Yeah, it's true. You know I mean, it's just not, it doesn't happen because there's so many variables that can affect that. So, I guess all you can do is just try and give them some lessons. Yeah, it's some definitely advice. some advice. Yeah. And it's like, but it's like when you become a parent, it'll be the same. Your kids don't want to hear it from you. You're yeah, their dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't want to hear all of this from you. You're, you're, you're their dad. They'd rather hear it from the Sunday league coach who's got no qualifications <laughs> and listen to him. And I'm sitting there looking at my son like, do you, do you realise what I've done? <laughs> <laughs> what, what I did why you're here <laughs> uh, and you're not listening to me you're not taking my advice that used to kill me right but then, really? but it, and then I realised it's, it's more about just giving them the, the tools from a mental perspective to how to think and live like a professional do they know who you are? they do it's weird my son said this to me the other day he said dad until I got FIFA I didn't really know how good you was you know <laughs> I said what do you mean? he says like oh, you're a legend on FIFA the game so now I know obviously I see your stats they're sick dad. they're sick how old is he? He's, he's 14 now, took but him. like it took, it took him, he probably said only like about till two years ago when he started playing FIFA. And he realised, he said, oh, dad, you're like, yeah. And before that, he was looking at me like I was just any man, like any guy. Mm. Like, and I say to them like, yeah, and one of my sons used to go, yeah, but dad, you, you really know that though, seriously. I just go, what's this guy saying? Like, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking saying? about? I made you, bro. Like, he was <laughs> like, but that's how they were because they were just oblivious to it and a lot of players I've spoke to and I asked them did your kid know that you were like a top player not really they don't really yeah you must want to sit them down and show them some, some tapes no? yeah but then that, but you don't sit there and do that it's like almost like they've got to go and find it and that's what they've, they've done now since obviously they go on YouTube and look at stuff and they go dad you actually <sighs> not bad like people saying like it's you or v, uh, Virgil van Dijk so who's better and like Virgil van Dijk is sick <laughs> like, and you're sitting there going yeah well you make your mind up then you better be back in your dad who is better than your Virgil van Dijk I'd say me isn't it <laughs> <laughs> plus he's Liverpool so I can't support that who is the best defender in the world in your view right, right now? now yeah yeah it's van Dijk you think it's van Dijk Ram Ramos yeah Ramos is his age is obviously 
it, it works against him. But Ramos, in terms of influence, yeah, yeah, um, in the last seven or eight years, has been the standout because he's like he's just he's been a monster. Scores goals, scored over a hundred goals. You know, centre back. Really, in his career, yeah, crazy. But Van Dyke, the last two years has been the Stand best. Up. Yeah, Liverpool aren't having a good time at the moment. It's been I'm, fun. Not, I'm not. I'm not guided. I'm not <laughs> guided. It's the best. We've got some yeah. Liverpool fans in here, and I tell you what, I've. I've made the most of this. Oh, it's a beautiful <laughs> Every thing. Every day. I'm like watching the games that I didn't care before. I'm like watching, sat there watching the games like, oh, like I'm watching the United final. Popcorn, like, like yeah, just like that. Oh, and then I'll text them. Oh, you've just conceded. What's the excuse today? Oh, no fans, all yeah. that nonsense. No players got an injury. Yeah, heard it all. Um, you know, you, lastly, you know, you said, you said that you're happy now. Mm. Happiest you've, um, you've felt in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm just... My face didn't actually say it, did it? Sorry? <laughs> my face didn't say that. No, it. your face looked no, like I'm, I'm the happiest I've, I've been, man. It's just because, I don't know, I've got three healthy children, four healthy children, now I've got a newborn. Just baby, yeah. um, a wife. Nearly forgot. Who does everything, <laughs> who's brilliant. Um, family, friends. Um, yeah, man, it's just... And, and, and business is going well as well. And I can see... I can see stuff happening and evolving. Like you can almost, you can feel stuff happening. Do you know what I mean? You must have felt that with some of the stuff that you do. You feel, you 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 get onto something and you momentum think- Momentum a little bit. The well. momentum starts coming. You can see it building. So I'm in a good place, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. What do you want? What do you mean what I want? I purposefully ambiguous. Like what do you want? What do you want? When you think about what you want now, what is it? I just, I just want to be part of something that people go, well, that was, that's the shit. Like that's how they've done that. Fair play, well, well played. That's Why? what I want. Why? Because that's how I've always been. You play football, first and foremost, I want it because I want it to be a success before that, obviously. But that recognition, I think we all have a little bit in us that you want that recognition, whether it's from your friends, your close network of people, family, or outside that. Like, why, why, why as a football player did you buy the paper or do you go online? What number's beside your name? If you've got a four out of 10, that paper's getting thrown away. You get a nine or 10, a 10, eight or 10. Well, you're looking for that recognition. And I think we've all got a little bit in that. Like, why do you say well done to your team, one of your members of your team? Because you know that person will feed off of that recognition. So I'm not ashamed to say that. I, I, I'm definitely like that as well. Well, thank you so much for, for coming today. It means a lot. And um, you're thank an incredibly you. inspiring guy. Like, and I have no doubt that you're going you're gonna to find that thing and it's going to be, become um, just as successful as everything else you've done in your life because you've got all the, you've got the philosophical attributes that are conducive with success. Like you're, you're not someone that got lucky. You've clearly got a mindset that is conducive with success. And especially when you, you, you talk about how curious you are with things. I like, when I say it, I mean it. Like the way you look at me when I talk about something <laughs> that like, if I talk about something that's maybe a little bit outside of your realm of experience, you might as well have pen and paper in the hand because yeah, that's yeah. the facial expression, right? Yeah, I've got notepads at home. That's going, it's going in. Really? Yeah. So Umar, who I referenced in the podcast is the CEO of pretty little thing and he was always the same and he said, said to me he was like I'd get 16 year olds in this office and I'd be like tell me about TikTok and he mm. just sits there and studies them he doesn't know about it he knows yeah, about yeah. it but he will know through them and he'll learn and he, he said he used to say to me I'm a sponge he said so Mahmood and Umar would invite me to the office sometimes four days a week and I'd just sit in the office and they'd just ask me questions mm. and then, then you'd see them just sort of changing their strategy a little bit on social media etc and uh you know, the, the, their record speaks for itself. But yeah, you've been a huge inspiration for me for many, many years as a leader, 
um, as a guy, you know, I didn't know you before, you know, a couple of years ago um, when we met and the guy you are and the leader you are is, um, is tremendously inspiring. You're a good guy no, and you're incredibly that. inspiring as well. So thank you for making the time today. And thank no, you, you inspire for- me now as well. So <laughs> it's, it's uh, kind of, it works both ways. So I appreciate you. Appreciate you, brother. Me. Thank you. Cool, man. Thanks. Thanks.